Well, good morning, everybody. We are back in the book of Hebrews. For some reason, I have the Darth Vader voice this morning. So, sorry about that. We are doing the entirety of chapter 10. Um, so, if you have your Red P Bibles, um, you can turn to there. That page number is, uh, that is page 1190 in the Red Pew Bible. As you're flipping there, uh, many years ago, when I was a uh, pastoral intern at a church in Staten Island, and I was living there, uh, I was with one of the church leaders, and we were, I don't know what restaurant it was, some kind of fast food restaurant, and we were just kind of waiting in line to get our food, and uh, somebody walked in that restaurant, and it's one of those memories you just, it kind of sticks with you. When the person walked in, you could just visibly see that there was just a burden on their shoulders, face downcast, just just leaning over and just looked like they were just in the throes of pain. And I, I saw her, the, 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 the man I was with saw her, and um, as soon as, as she found her table, uh, some minutes later, he just walked right over to her, and she was just at the table, her head kind of in her hands, and he just kind of got down and got face eye level with her, and he just said, are, are you okay? And she was kind of jarred at this stranger who would walk up and just ask that simple question, are you okay? And uh, a few minutes turned into uh, many minutes as she shared her story and as he prayed for her right there on the spot. But that memory has always stuck with me because, you know, the question I want to bring up is, have you ever had somebody just draw near to you like that? Especially, you know, in a time that you need so, but in a time when you didn't even ask for it. Somebody out of just pure compassion and pure love walks up to you and embraces you and ministers to you um, in that time. This is kind of what Hebrews 10 is going to be looking at. And I want to just go on that drawing near uh, to God theme that surfaces here. And I'm going to look at it in two different ways because um, in reality, this is a story of the gospel as, as, as Amanda just kind of shared a minute ago is that Jesus drew near to us when we didn't even ask him to, he came as a baby. He pursued a world that had rebelled against him. And he still, out of love, pursued us. He drew near to us. And as that happens, as we recognize that he drew near to us in turn, when he enters our life, we must learn for the remainder of our life what it means to draw near to him. He draws near to us, but we must learn how to draw near to him. And so this is kind of what we're looking at this morning. There's two points of our journey today. Um, we're going to look at point number one. When God drew near, we were made holy. That's the result of him pursuing us. We were made holy. And point number two, when we draw near to God, he makes us holy. See what I did there? A little play thing. I'm not good at things like that, but 
I don't know, maybe that's clever. When God drew near, we were made holy, but when we draw near to God, he makes us holy. So we're going to look at what that means here. So beginning in chapter 10, we're going to read the entirety of this chapter with, uh, out loud today. So we're going to start in verse 1 here. This is the word of the Lord. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, but not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual remainder of sin, reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings, with sin offerings, you were not pleased. And he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, Jesus came into this world. That's what Psalm 40 was quoted there. There's some uh, an interpretive liberty that the author took. You can go in that worm, nerdy wormhole on your own time. But the author says it was kind of looked forward to, we can say prophesied, that the Messiah coming would come physically. We call this, the, the fancy word is the incarnation. He would actually come into the world on his own initiative and he would pursue us, he would enter this world, and he would bring a much better sacrifice than what was happening before in the system of sacrifice in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures. We've talked a lot about that in past sermons. You can go listen to those. But he comes and he makes a far superior sacrifice once and for all as he draws near to us, and he fulfills the will of God to die for us. We're going we're gonna to unpack all these things as we continue on. In verse 8, he says, First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. For day after day, priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So let's talk about this. What happened when Jesus drew near? What happened when he draws near to us? What happens after he pursued us and died for our sins? Well, we just read something amazing happened. It says that we were made holy before God. Let's talk about what this means. So not only did Jesus die for you and cleanse you and forgive you of your sin. But before God, now when, when, when God sees you, it's like he put on Jesus glasses 
And he doesn't see the person that's all, you know, uh, yes, you're forgiven with sin, but you're weak and you're stained with sin. You're still struggling. You have all these weaknesses. He didn't see any of that. He puts on his Jesus glasses and he says, because of what my son has done, I see him clean and holy in you. I see you as a pure child before me because he has, he has his holiness has been given to you. His, the, the other Christian knees kind of word, righteousness, his rightness has been given to you. Jesus paid for that perfectly, and he gives us his holiness perfectly. But some of that, you know, uh, uh, reality in our life, right, that we are made holy, um, we know that in our lives it's not quite in reality, Right? We know that um, if, if Jesus in his perfection, God kind of sees us that way, even though day to day we're like, yeah, that's a really cool thing that the Bible teaches, but is that, I don't know if my life seems that, that way. Right? It's like something that already is true because of Jesus doesn't quite already seem true for us. It's like we're still trying to work out this what we can call a spiritual reality. We're still trying to work this out in our own life. This is a one way to understand it. It's like if you're from England and you move to America and you receive citizenship. You have the card, you're a citizen, and that's great. But with this new place that you're living in, this new country, if you drove on the roads the same way that you drove in England, there'd be problems, right? It wouldn't go long, you would, your, short, your trip would be very short, right? Because they drive on the opposite side of the road. So as we are made holy before God, that's our new reality. This whole chapter is kind of saying when, when he pursued us through Nitros, made us holy, so you can't turn back, like you have that new citizenship card. You're in his kingdom now. You can't go back to that way that it used to be before. It doesn't work that way. This is your new reality. Let's, the Holy Spirit's given to us to, to work into this new reality. You don't drive on that side of the road as if you're in England anymore. It doesn't work. You're out of that place. You're out of that country. This is a new reality in Christ. And so he wants us to work out what this means, this holiness that we have. How do we become holy ourselves? And so he, he focuses in on this. The author focuses in on that question. As we go to the, our point number two, or sorry, our first point, when we draw near to God, he makes us holy, right? The Holy Spirit also testifies, verse 15, to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them, that after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. This is how he comes alongside of us to make that reality real in our life. I don't know if you heard the news last week. Elon Musk's uh, Neuralink company installed the first ever microchip on a human brain. The idea is to essentially link up the brain with a computer so our thoughts can then guide a computer. Kind of like, you know, the sci-fi books you've read, like this stuff is... It's like happening in our days, right? You just got to wonder what my own kids in 10, 20 years or what they're going to see, right? 
Um, you, you think thoughts and it Googles those thoughts. You, you can think the cursor to move and it moves, right? And this is kind of what they're trying to accomplish to help paraplegics walk and, and things like that. But in a, much less, in, a, in a way that's much, much less dystopian, maybe, um, God has placed his own chip in us, if you will, the Holy Spirit. But there's like a reverse that's happening right? And instead of this idea of our brains connecting with a computer, it's like God has placed his Holy Spirit in us and his voice is trying to and is communicating with us from within. No longer laws written down on stones on the outside that we're reading. He said, no, I'm going to place all of that inside of you. I know you're weak. I've made you holy in Christ, but I want to continue to pull you along in this journey and I am now dwelling in you. I have written my laws on your heart. I have written them in your minds. As your sins are no longer remembered, I am now with you, dwelling in you. Right? He's infusing this stuff in us. It's like, you know, this, this new reality we have in him, um, it's, it's, it's done. It's like if, if I, you know, I bought a house recently, and um, if, I'm, if I'm still stressing about, you know, the whole purchase process when it's done, you know, it'd be like a really silly thing. And, and God is continually trying to point us towards what's already happening, saying you already are holy. Focus on the already in Christ as I pull you through this process. You have to get your minds and your hearts on what's already true. Sins are forgiven and Christ's holiness is now accredited to your Account And as we continue to struggle, he continues to, to do this, um, to work in us. And he says, you know, the, the process, the next step in this process is he has drawn near to us and given us his Holy Spirit. The next step is for us to learn to then draw near to him. For us to, to with our wills, in our prayer meeting this morning, we we're talking about our wills to then direct them towards God in our own lives, draw near to him. This is verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, this is all just past sermons we've talked about, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. We're going to walk through those three things. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. But what does it mean to draw near to God? What does it mean to draw near to God? He has drawn near to us. His spirit's inside of us. That is done. We are holy in Christ. But now he's saying, you got you to draw near to him now. What does that mean? I think it might help us to understand what, what not drawing near to God looks like to help define this. Simply stated, when, when sin and destructive patterns of living that dishonor God and are destructive in our, when it's present in our life, naturally, we start pulling away from him. Naturally, we start pulling away from him. But sometimes, even as that's happening, like, we kind of want to hold our arm out and be like, I, I don't want to, like, completely walk away from God, but just maybe enough to where I can really grab onto this. But, you know, I'll still, like, be here kind of close to him and at a somewhat of a distance. Isaiah speaks of the result when sin's in our life. He says, Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities 
have made a separation between you and your God. This is kind of like Christianity 101 stuff, right? This stuff naturally breaks that relationship, right? He, you begin holding him at a distance. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Peter's a great kind of example of this. You know, the night that Christ was arrested, he was with him. He was with him. And uh, uh, when Christ was taken away by the guards and, and taken away um, to the, the temple complex to go through the nighttime trial and all of that, all the disciples kind of scattered. Except Peter didn't really want to fully run away from Jesus. He kind of held his distance, but kind of was there. He was kind of drawing near to him, but not really. He was kind of not drawing near to him because the reality was Peter knew if they know I'm with that guy, I might have to suffer like he is. I'm not quite ready for that, but I don't want to abandon him. So like, I'll just kind of get my, my binoculars and watch from a distance, which you can read how that story went for Peter. It didn't go well for him that night. But is that you today? This call to draw near to God? Are you like, I I want to do that, but I'm kind of like Peter right now. Like I'm kind of at that distance right now with God. Like I'm here in church. I come most weeks and here I am, but I'm kind of following him. I'm kind of drawing near, but at my own distance here at arm's length. I'm not quite ready for him to be like all the way in me. Yeah, you know, to have everything. I'm kind of content with an arm's reach. Philippians 4 speaks of this. We have to realize that the, the, the key to the, one of the keys to this life in Christ that we have is to know that God's presence is always here with us in us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is at hand in your life. Philippians 4 speaks of this. It says, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. You know, famous verse from prayer. But in prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. The Lord is at hand. This means like he's within arm's reach. He's right here among us right now. He has drawn near to us. And we must embrace his presence and not try to push him away and try to manage if we, if we dream that we can, manage his presence at some distance, but still kind of close so we kind of feel like I'm still have this relationship. No, draw near to him, friends. Give him all of those pieces of your heart and your soul. Don't withhold anything from him. He wants to pour those living waters inside of you. Don't withhold anything from him. If we get close to him, as he is drawn near to us, as we draw near to him, we start experiencing, we will. It's impossible not to experience transformation when we draw near to him. C.S. Lewis described this kind of uh, interaction this way. This is what he said. He said, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. All right, so track with him here. If you want to get warm, what do you do? You want to stand near a fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life. You must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. And if you are close to it, the spray will get you wet. If you are not, you will remain dry. 
I don't want to be a dry church, friends. Because <laughs> it will literally dry you up inside. Right? When you think of the baptism waters, when you're plunged in, the waters are, they, they, they wash and they, and they purify you. And the goal is that we are now swimming in the pool of his kingdom. Don't try to jump out of there, friends. You will shrivel up. The Lord is at hand. So as we draw near to God, here's the next thing he mentions, with a sincere heart. With a sincere heart. I'm going to try to answer one more time. What would it mean to, 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 to draw near without sincerity? I think the best example of that would be me in my high school computer class, my senior year, in which I skipped like three or four days a week for like five months. And I still passed. I was a bum. Like I was a complete bum in high school. But I did want to graduate, right? Like I didn't want to just like quit high school, but I kind of wanted to quit high school. So I found a way to just not show up for just the right amount of days. I knew the count. I knew that I had to be there for so many days and they would withhold my, my, my diploma if I wasn't. So I just, I think it was one day short of not showing up and then I just kept going and then I graduated, right? So I got it, but was I sincere? Of course not. I hated school. I just wanted to get out of there. And now I love school. I'm still in it, which is weird, but different story for a different day. But I hated school then. I, there's no sincerity, but I kind of still wanted to get out of there right? And that's, that's this distance piece, you know? Like, if you have this relationship with God, like, yeah, I don't want to give that up, but like, I don't know, it's just like, I'm just here, like, ah, you know, I'm here on Sundays, right? My, we, can, we can have insincere church as long as we want, you know? Like, we can create these rhythms of meeting and singing songs, and, you know, you write your tithe check and kind of show up and then just kind of go home, and then it's like, oh, I'll come back next week because I have been doing this for a long time. And we can just be incredibly insincere about this whole thing and just kind of float along until the end. But John Wesley, here's this quote that I've read a long time ago. As C.S. Lewis said, as we draw near to God, if we reject the insincerity and with a sincere heart say, Lord, I want you. I don't even know, like, I don't even know this whole, like, I'm kind of, maybe I'm new to this Christian anything, or I'm just kind of in this dull spot. I don't even know what it is, but Lord, like, just give me a longing for you. John Wesley says this. He says, if you light yourself on fire, people will come for miles to watch you burn. And I'm telling you, friends, God has drawn near to you. When you draw near to him, there will be a fire that is lit in your soul. Whether you're an excited kind of personality, it just kind of gleams out of your face, or you're more like a little melancholy like me, and you're like, I'm really excited right now. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's still going to burn. It's still going to burn if you draw near to God, because he's already drawn near to you, friends. He's saying, are you ready to take the plunge? Are you ready? I want to be a church that is on fire because, yes, people will see that flame. So what is that? What is that burning at that church over there? I want that. Say, so it is the goodness and grace and love of Jesus Christ that is burning amongst us through his Holy Spirit. And we will be transformed. In verse 22, it continues with the third piece. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. 
The, one of the famous doubting verses is found in, in the letter uh, uh, of James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Kind of read that one more time. Verse 7. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I'm not sure if we take verses like that very seriously sometimes. Doubt can lead you to not receiving anything from the Lord. Like it, There's a part of my... I guess theological system that's like, I don't know if I believe that, but it's right there. And we have to look at that verse and say, that's a verse in the Bible that we got to pay attention to, right? If you come and say, Lord, like, I don't really believe that you can, you can rescue me from my own darkness within or, or infuse your joy, but like I'm coming to you anyway, you're probably not going to get those things because you don't really even believe that he can offer that to you. You're just doing it because you feel like maybe it's the right thing to do. The call is saying, approach him with a sincere heart, with full assurance that his promises and that the work of Christ indeed can and will transform you. And you say, I'm going to build my life on those promises that I wholeheartedly embrace. That's the call of full assurance as you draw near to God. He continues on. He says, uh, having our hearts, in verse 22, the last half here, full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled. It's like a, a brief encouragement rant, all right? This is like the encouragement part. We're about to get not encouraging in a minute, but we'll stay encouraging for right now. <laughs> having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Do you believe that, friends? Verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In summary, he's saying, don't quit. Like, persevere as you draw near to God. Press in. You've been cleansed. He has forgiven you. Your conscience has been cleansed. You've been, you've been baptized with pure water. Hold unswervingly to this hope as you draw near to him because he is faithful to keep his promise. But if you pay attention, this is not like your own individual pursuit. This is why one reason why we're pursuing Alpha and pursuing a deeper small group ministry here. Because this is not like, you know, put your boots on and you're going to kind of do this thing all alone. Rather, he says, let us hold unswervingly. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good needs. Let us not give up meeting together. We got to spur one another on. Your desire and hunger for God must be experienced and live out in a community for the fullness of it because we are the body of Christ. And yes, that's verse 25 is like the first verse that you memorize when you become a pastor, right? It's just like the, every pastor's favorite verse. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
You know, it was like, I didn't see you in church Sunday. Why aren't you giving up meeting together? The Bible says, don't give up meeting together. It's like everybody's favorite verse. But I don't think that's like so much about Sunday morning service. You know, like I don't think that was like, you weren't in service Sunday, why aren't you giving up? This is about much more than that. This is about those regular meetings that they had together as they drew near to God together. He says, you, you're living in that, not just Sunday, but week by week. You're pursuing each other, drawing near to God together. Don't give that up, friends. That's the habit that far extends a Sunday morning. Far extends a Sunday morning. Now, a little, that was some encouraging, you know, kind of, but now we're getting to, 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 to some warning passages because we, we've talked about the good news of Jesus, about he's drawn near to us. We are going to draw near to him. What happens if you hear all of that and you're like, eh, I don't know. I don't really care. I'm just going to walk away. Here's what happens. Okay, this is one of the last warning passages in the book of Hebrews, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. There's a reason why you haven't heard a lot of these kind of verses before. People usually think like, oh, the Old Testament God is, you know, the, the judgmental God and New Testament Jesus is, this is in the New Testament, so this is here. We have to pay attention to this. Verse 28, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, of the, of the living God. Pretty intense stuff, pretty intense shift of attitude, you know, in this chapter. The best way I can, I can explain it is this way. Uh, I never lived in Florida, but in New Jersey, we had a few experiences of hurricanes, and a couple of the bad ones will come up, and there would be warnings like, evacuate, you need to get out of town, because some of those beach towns in Jersey are, you know, below sea level. They have big signs, kind of the entry point of the town, you know, please evacuate, please evacuate, cops are kind of doing, but they're not going to, like, drag you out of your house. And there's always some of those people that are like, you know, I don't know. Like, I've seen hurricanes before. Like, I'm just going to, you know, weather the storm, you know, get my milk and bread and just kind of lounge out. Like, we'll, we'll be okay. And then a few days later, you hear about helicopter rescues and people on their roofs as their house is like underwater. And it's like, yeah, you know, like you could have left. There was warnings. Like you heard warnings and you were like, I don't care. I'm just going to go down this route anyway. And there's a price to pay. It's like that guy who's from England, now driving in America. If you're trying to go backwards as if that new citizenship is not a reality, there's going to be a price to pay. I say all of this, not so much for the person who is following Jesus here. This is really a warning for those who are, have heard all of what Christ has done for them, have even experienced some of his work in your own life or around you, and you're still kind of just doubling down on a hard heart. It's like, 
I just, no, I'm not giving in. I'm not taking the plunge to follow him. It's like, beware. You need to be aware of that path that you're walking down because there's nothing left. Like there is no other good news outside of Jesus. If you walk away from that, there's nothing left for you. And that's the warning. If that's one of you here this morning, it's a stark warning. It's a hard one to preach on, not a fun one, but it's here. And I pray that you would take that warning. She would take that warning. But if you're a believer this morning, you know, I, I, that's a common thing I get often is that, that phone call from somebody who's like, Pastor, I, I feel so guilty from what I did. It was so bad that I'm pretty sure, like, I just lost it, my salvation. Like, I, I, he's, there's no way I can recover from this one. Like, it's done. And my answer is always the same. You're calling me because you feel guilty. And that means you're Okay. If you did what you did and did not call and did not feel guilty, that's the problem. There's always forgiveness for your sin. The day that you quit making that phone call is the day that you should be afraid. But then you're not going to be afraid, and that's the whole idea. Does that make sense? You guys tracking me on that one? But now to some more encouraging words. He shifts gears again. He goes backwards to these, these Christians he's speaking to. This is early church in verse 32. He points them back to what happened before, when they first met Jesus, when they first drew near to him, when Christ first drew near to them. There was results in their life. There was transformation. Like we said earlier, when you draw near to Christ, things change because he's already drawn near to you and you become transformed. He starts flushing stuff out of you and amazing things happen. This is what happened in the midst of some of the most severe trials. I've read a lot and we don't really know what these trials were, but we can just kind of make assumptions. Early church was persecuted because they were Christians, because they followed Jesus. Rome had their way of worship that kind of kept everybody in order and in line, worship all the Roman gods, be a good citizen. Don't like get out of that system because that can cause disruption in our civil empire. And these Christians are like, hey, those are fake gods. The real God is Jesus. And the Romans are like, "Uh uh-uh, what is this? Stop. Like, we can't do this. You're going to disrupt things. You're going to cause chaos if you're turning people from this. And so they turned against the Christians continually off and on in those early years. And these Christians who received the letters experience really hard things. Let's read this. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you have received the light, when you stood at your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side. But those who were so treated, you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves have better lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what, has prom- what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. That's that full assurance. He will not, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him, but 39, speaking to followers of Jesus, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Immense difficulty, publicly exposed to shame and insult. And the Christians, when they saw that happening to other Christians, the Christians didn't like do this, be like, oh, like Peter. No, they're just like, I'm going to join their ranks and receive the same insults 
to support and to love them. They sympathize with those in prison. Uh, Jesus was called the great high priest who sympathizes with us. They were taking on the very attributes of who Christ was as they drew near to him. They found themselves going and visiting their fellow Christians who were in prison and loving them. They jo- this is a wild one. They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. Just to speak a little bit to the American spirit here. I got my second amendment, my guns. I'm going to shoot anybody that comes to my property kind of spirit. I'm just going to say there's a verse here. The early Christians joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Let that challenge some of our American spirit, you know. These things written in our Constitution are not in our Bibles. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. They're not inspired word of God. But what was the point of all of this? The point of all of this is that they received this life in God They drew near to him as he had drawn near to them. And it transformed them. And we don't know the exact state presently when he wrote this letter, but he's like, remember those earlier times. Remember what God did in you in the past. And I want you to draw assurance from that. I want you to draw faith from that in the present as you continue to draw near to him. Because he says, you don't know. The Lord could be coming. He's coming. He could be coming tomorrow. Time is short, says the author here. Time is not to be wasted. Don't shrink back. Verse 39, he says, that's not us. That's not us. Because we have the good news. So friends, as we close here, we're going to take communion here. And we're going to hear from our prayer team. I'm going to let that word of remember just, just dwell here as we transition to communion, which is all about remembering the death of Christ. Because many of you, even if you're new in the faith or you're in the faith for longer than I've been alive, you remember in your life when God first grabbed you, when he spoke to you or did something so amazing in your life that just absolutely transformed you, you remember. That's the same God, friends, who's at hand now who's with you now. Don't shrink back. Have full assurance to step forward. To step step forward. Remember. Remember. Lord, I pray that Lord, you would give us that full assurance of faith to draw near to you. Jesus, you came into this world physically You pursued us in this world. You were born. You chased after us. And Lord, you got us, Lord. I pray through your Holy Spirit, Lord, your holiness, your life, who you are, we continue to be poured into us, Lord, that we may be living in the reality that has already been true, that we're forgiven and we are saved and we are justified in you, Lord. Lord, I pray for any in this room who have been shrinking back, Lord, and carrying that burden, that they would draw near to you in full assurance and of faith, Lord. Draw Holy Spirit, as you remember your, your death, I pray that you would once again draw near to us, Lord, and maybe pull faith and pull assurance out of your body and your blood, which was shed and which was broken for us. And we pray this in your name, amen.